0: everybody, it's He Young. Roundtable is thrilled to launch the UniTalk Challenge, rising stars of Roundtable. If you like the show and enjoy our discussions, why not take the stage yourself? Calling all university students, both undergraduates and postgrads, to engage in an English discussion on a topic that ignites your passion. Record your discussion, which consists more than one person, and send it to us at ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. You could be the next rising star of Roundtable. An incredible opportunity awaits, so seize the moment.
1: Discussion keeps the world turning.
2: This is Roundtable. Roundtable.
0: You're listening to Roundtable with myself, Hui Young. I'm joined by Yushun in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. Coming up, we share with you what's made us happy this week in Roundtable's happy place. And music festivals used to be incubators for creativity in music, culture, and fashion. Despite explosive popularity in the post-COVID era of music festivals, they are now questioned. Have they plateaued? Are music festivals no longer the breeding grounds for new and groundbreaking ideas in music and fashion? Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcasts. And please keep sending us your comments, thoughts, and questions to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. Your voice could be featured in the show in our heart-to-heart segment. And now, welcome to Roundtable's happy place. Delivery, delivery, delivery. What is it? Happiness from Round Table. Yushun, what's your happy place this week?
1: Well, this week, my happy place is a wildlife park. Ooh. Yeah. A wildlife park means that we actually saw some, you know, actually vibrant yet leisurely wild animals. <laughs> living inside the park because, you know, this wildlife park showcases animals in a kind of free range and mixed feeding manner, which means that some animals can freely roam within the designated areas and are not confined to cages. Oh. Yeah, and another point is that this park features a self-driving tour area and walking tour area and a predator animal area, which means you can see these predator animals animals really closely. And um, this allows visitors to observe these, you know, wildlife up close in a barrier-free and comprehensive way, I think. And I believe this is also a kind of commendable aspect of this park because they emphasize, you know, the theme of the return to nature for animals and people to actually create an atmosphere that, you know, emphasizes the Interconnectedness of humans, animals, and forests, and that actually reminded me of a news that I saw recently. A wild wolf in uh, northwestern China's Qinghai province uh, was, you know, fed by a lot of visitors that crossed by, and uh, it was kind of, uh, you know, quite skinny. But now it's becoming really chubby. Now, um, <laughs> the people calling it uh, is becoming a husky. Um, However, uh, this news sparked a lot of discussion on whether we should uh, feed wildlife, right? Because a lot of experts say it's actually not very recommended and it could be harmful to a lot of animals and humans. And um, certainly we know that these kind of people who feed these wild animals have good intentions, but um, I believe this situation uh, should also raise you know people's awareness of you know how can we coexist with wildlife um i think fortunately a lot of cities and also this uh, nature reserve of uh, where the wolf is located also have these kind of um uh, management and uh, they're saying that this management agency is responsible for ensuring that the habitats of wild animals are not subject to human destruction and interference. Mm. And a lot of cities in China have also explicit bans on feeding wild animals. For example, Shanghai. um, Shanghai's municipal regulations on wild animal conservation came into effect on October the 1st, prohibiting the feeding of wild animals that naturally grow and reproduce in the wild. And um, yes, I think with these moves and, uh, um I think, rules and policies, more people are cultivating the, you know, the kind of awareness of letting people and wildlife coexist naturally.
0: Yeah, you know I'm not a big fan of parks, uh, zoos, period. Um, but
1: what about cute animals?
0: <laughs> they can exist in the cloud on the computer screen. And um I've only recently realized that the reason why I don't have a dog as a pet is because I, I love them too much. And mm. and previously I couldn't figure out why. Obviously my house is not big enough and stuff like that. And ideally you should be walking your dog three times a day, thrice, not twice. And I can't even afford twice a day. So then, yeah, anyway, and, enough about me. But um, yeah, I, I see the merit in having safari trips mm. and uh, seeing – animals and, and developing sort of more of a tangible connection with wildlife. Um, but also, I just feel that um, sometimes with the least amount of human intervention or contact is actually the most beneficial to wildlife, our environment or, or whatnot. But maybe I'm a little bit radical in, in, in thinking like that.
2: You and I really want to go to this park now, so maybe yeah. after the show you'll have to tell me some details about it. I, it course. sounds wonderful. Um, what was the most impressive animal you saw there? Do you think?
1: I think it's the donkeys.
0: The donkeys? <laughs> yes, because you can actually,
1: because <laughs> like, you, you drive through the lanes of donkeys. You know of. of
2: I love monkeys.
1: <laughs> and they 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 actually interact with you, and they are so smart. They know how to, you know, get food from humans and they know, you know, how can actually, what kind of behaviors can benefit themselves.
2: Great. It so... always seems to be what animals are able to do. <laughs> I mean, that is smart, but it always seems to be, you know, when, it, when someone says, "Wow, the animal's so smart, it always seems to be connected to it, getting food somehow. But some mm-hmm. of the methods of doing so are impressive. Yeah. So you were tricked by a donkey. <laughs> oh, I think so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is awfully cute, actually. Um, yes, and Josh, what is your happy place?
2: Well, recently, I've been listening to something um called binaural sound, and binaural sounds are also sometimes referred to as sleep sound or they're sometimes incorporated into like sleep casts or sleeping noise and things like this. And they're, they're basically sounds that help us relax and they can help us sleep. And I've been listening to this and it's really been helping me sleep more deeply. Um, sometimes they're called sleepscapes and things like this. And basically they're certain frequencies that resonate with us in our brain and they help us to switch off in, in a way um they, they help us to to focus and things like white noise have you guys heard of white noise mm-hmm. I'm sure you have right so white noise can be any sort of consistent low-level sounds like a fan sometimes when people have their AC on their air conditioner on it helps them sleep right that's because an AC can also be considered white noise also nature sounds things like rain or the ocean this really helps me actually because I was brought up in a seaside town in England where it mm. rains a lot and I can hear the ocean. Wow. Um, so when I hear the rain, it just immediately calms me at any time of day. So there's also some nostalgia in particular sounds yeah. that help specific people. Um, also like repetitive patterns, um, low lower frequencies, as I mentioned, and things like this. Um, so I've been listening to these and there's a variety of apps. Actually, this industry, the sort of Health industry, the app industry has really become popular in recent years. I'm sure you guys have seen some of them, um, and yeah, it's made me really much happier and healthier. Because of course, after food and drink, sleep is very important. Have either of you guys ever tried any of these things?
1: I tried um, was something that's called ASMR during sleep, um, and I actually oh. quite need it. But I, I would not suggest people to you know wear headphones um at uh, during sleep because that could be mm. quite harmful to your ears and also if the wires are just you know tangled
0: <laughs> oh <laughs> no. tangled in your
1: neck then it's going to be very dangerous and yeah
0: bluetooth yeah. headphones then
1: earphones um it will run out of battery during the whole night and then
0: just play it on speakerphone
1: yes <laughs> S- speaker is better
2: And also, some of these sleep casts and things, they're specifically designed for falling asleep, so they may start with some ASMR and some speaking to sort of make you relaxed, and then they will descend into more Mm. lower noises without any speech, and then you can set it for like eight to nine hours, and it will slowly get quieter and quieter to sort of match a, a healthy sleep pattern.
0: Oh, interesting the part I find to be most difficult about sleep is falling asleep. Mm. And yeah, so apparently listening to podcasts is what some people do. But I mean, if you're listening to a fun, entertaining, vibrant podcast like Roundtable, then yeah, we've also gotten complaints that it doesn't really help you to fall asleep. And I guess that's a good thing. But um, yeah, finding your niche, I guess. And, And also how to Allow yourself, your mind to quiet down, to go into sleep mode. I think that's the part most of us find struggling. Well, at least those who find it difficult to fall asleep find struggling. So thank you very much, Josh. And what I have for you as my happy place actually happened um, in the past weekend, but I didn't have time to share with you. So here it goes. The American Ballet Theater is recognized as one of the world's leading classical ballet companies, returned to China in early November for the first time in a whole decade at the National Center for the Performing Arts from November the 9th to 12th. And I got tickets for the last performance. So... American Ballet Theater, or ABT, staged this highly acclaimed version of Giselle, perhaps the most beloved early romantic ballet in the world. All of the ABT's 85 dancers joined the China Tour, and it was an opportunity to see all of the company's principal dancers and their different interpretations of the art, of course every night for every performance you could only see two of the principal dancers being mm-hmm. the um you know playing the leads those kind of things and this tour was delayed for 2 years by the pandemic but It was to the great joy of all audience members did we get to enjoy the performances in Beijing for those few days when they were here in Beijing. And Giselle is such a wonderful ballet, so classic and iconic. Anybody who loves ballet probably wants to see it. It's one of those things that you just cannot miss if ballet is your thing. And Giselle reflects the thematic concerns of the 19th century romanticism, specifically the idealization of peasant life and the intersection of reality and the supernatural. Those two themes give the ballet shape, with Act 1 set in the village and Act 2, which is my favorite, in the mystical forest and the mad scene that closes Act 1 serves as the bridge. And Giselle was one of the first truly substantial roles for female dancers. To excel in the role, dancers must assume an enormous arc of emotional experience from innocent love through madness and death, which is something I'm crazy about. For this reason, Giselle is often called the Hamlet of ballet and the second scene is always magical. I've seen this performed by the American dancers as well as Russian dancers a few years ago and then their styles can be very different but the choreography of the MBT during their tour in China is fantastic. So yes, um, I just like to remind you that music and dance, these are Universal languages and the ballet performers, they share emotion, beauty, form, musicality, and love through their art form. And earlier in the month, the Philadelphia Orchestra performed in China as well on its 50th anniversary of its icebreaking trip to China in 1973. And uh, there's a beautiful CGT and radio production on this particular theme as well. So go free to check it out. Just search uh, Philadelphia Orchestra on all podcast platforms, and it's worth a listen. So musical exchange isn't necessarily um, going to solve massive geopolitical issues, obviously, but I believe it will continue to create environments in which the people who need to solve them will have a more favorable environment to do so. And as an average member of the audience, like myself, I just feel, especially maybe after COVID, going to live events and seeing something so breathtakingly beautiful on stage, like Giselle the ballet, it's an experience Unparalleled, And um, I would encourage you to get out there and enjoy and appreciate art, music, whatever that can calm you down, bring you joy, and can become your happy place. And I'm all for it. Coming up next, are music festivals losing their creative edge? Stay tuned.
2: Looking for passion?
1: How about
0: fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable, where East meets West, and understanding is the goal. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, He Young. I'm joined by Josh Cotterell on the line and Yushin in the studio. From Coachella to Glastonbury to Dee and Strawberry, Music festivals around the world and in China have become more extravagant and popular since the pandemic hiatus. Music festivals have gained their own culture that goes beyond the realms of music. The words festival fashion summon a very specific look, one that perhaps feels very... 2010, if you still have pictures of Kate Moss, Alexa Chung, and Sienna Miller attending Glastonbury in the mid to late 2000s on your mood board, we see you, we're you. Back in the day, music events held this unique power to spark fashion trends and send ripples through the fashion world. But now, music festivals don't seem to wield that same influence as they once did. Well, actually, this is subject to debate. So we're going to talk about what's changed. Why is it so hard for them to be the fashion trendsetters as they once used to be? Well, guys, we've discussed the 2023 concert boom this summer. And do feel free to, well, revisit that episode on the podcast platform of your choice. But what do the latest stats say about the music events and concert and music festival industry here in China. Last time I checked, they're really popular.
1: Mm, We can absolutely see a surge in the number of music events in China. According to China Association of Performing Arts, in the first half of 2023, there were a total of 506 large-scale concerts and music festivals held in China generating a revenue of nearly 2.5 billion yuan. That's about 347 million U.S. dollars. And especially the second quarter proved to be a busy period for music events, with a total of 428 such events, showing a more than 448% increase compared to the same period last year. And if you're a big fan of Chinese music festivals, you will know that in many... Um, Big, well-known festivals are back. Um, In late May, Strawberry Music Festival, one of the most popular and iconic music festivals in the country, drew 50,000 attendees over two days in Changsha, Hunan Province in central China. And also another one called Midi Music Festival, known for its focus on rock and alternative music genres, attracted over 100,000 visitors in three days. In Yantai, Shandong Province, in northern part of China.
0: Yes, um, if you live in China, then and if you're on Chinese social media, then you can definitely feel the explosion of popularity of music festivals as well as concerts in this country. But um, in terms of music festivals, this is more of something of an import. Uh, for Chinese people. It's only um, Chinese Gen Z, or to some extent millennials too, have sort of bought into this idea of going to music festivals for maybe the last decade or maybe less time than that. So Josh, um, I know you are a huge music fan as well as, well, you're a musician yourself and you've had a fair amount of experience in music festivals. Um, Just tell us a bit more about how does you know british gen z view um music festivals and sort of the comeback it's made ever since covid is something we put in the past
2: well like all over the world i think that there was a strong desire for live events and live performances not just music festivals specifically but any sort of live music performance um or anywhere where people would gather in a crowd to witness some form of entertainment was just obviously not happening during covid and afterwards there was a massive boom and the uk has always had a really established and developed music festival scene um, internationally along with the us and a lot of parts of europe as well and so some of these massive festivals that would see hundreds of thousands of people attend suddenly weren't happening anymore and now that they've been re-established there's definitely a strong desire for them Uh, festivals such as glastonbury in the uk um also in Europe Denmark has one called Roskilde, uh, Roskilde I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, music festival. Um and in the US there's many famous ones that I'm sure you guys have heard of that have been established for decades. Um things like Coachella mm-hmm. music festival, Burning Man festival yeah. and things like this. And on the topic of fashion, I think a lot of these festivals really do inspire have been inspired by and continue to be at the center of a lot of fashion trends.
0: Yeah, definitely. And also, didn't it all sort of start with Woodstock in the US? And, Mm -hmm. you know, and it started the love and peace sort of movement and, you know, um, turning up with flowers in your hair. And uh, it goes to fashion and beyond fashion and music to a cultural movement. And, you know, these are some of the really interesting monumental periods in music history as well as uh, the history of culture as such. Um, well, yeah, let, let's say a bit more about fashion, I suppose. And um, apparently this is a criticism of the current um, music scene that uh, these music festivals don't really bring so much of groundbreaking ideas into the fashion world as it once used to
1: but as somebody who really know a little about fashion I was just wondering how does fashion connect with music festivals mm. does that mean that people who go to music festivals wear a certain style of clothes or or the you know performers have a certain style of clothes
0: yeah what do you say Josh I,
2: I think it's everything I mean if we just think about how fashion is often at the center of it's not separate from social movements as a whole. Actually, the clothes that we wear, it's very powerful. And it's often the way that different movements project themselves and show themselves to the world. And I think that music festivals have long had a history of influencing fashion trends. Um, Let's take a couple of examples then, which might make it a little bit clearer. So Coachella uh, in the US, I think is one of the most famous music festivals in the world which you might have heard of right it's held Mm. annually in california and it's become really synonymous with sort of bohemian inspired Mm. fashion trends yep and this is partly because of its location um it's usually in like a desert location it's often got a lot of celebrity attendees so it's often almost like a red carpet event coachella actually and so Mm. just like any other sort of celebrity event like any catwalk event or when there's a massive film premiere or an award ceremony and you know you've seen these photos of what dress are they going to wear right what what are they wearing it's a massive event music festivals are quite similar in this regard but the difference is that instead of as opposed to say a big fashion event where it's only celebrities in the case of a music festival there are sometimes hundreds of thousands if not millions of members of the public so It's much more powerful as as more of a, you know, encapsulating this new trend or vibe. I'll give you one more example, which is very famous. Um, I think Burning Man. Have you heard of Burning Mm Man? Um, You know, Burning Man's about a week long. It's also held in a desert. um, And Burning Man is very famous for its imaginative and very avant-garde styles. If you look at any pictures of Burning Man, um, it includes a lot of sort of futuristic steampunk inspired outfits and yeah i mean imagine if you go there and again there's hundreds of thousands of people dressed like this it's going to have a significant impact on the fashion world much like catwalks do. it in you know a lot of the things you see on the catwalk you wouldn't see on the street every day right i think it's quite similar at these festivals
0: yeah and burning man actually involves burning right so it's not just strictly a music festival. And also that's, I think, one of the... many
2: things. (laughs) I haven't been. Yeah, me either. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, You know, extinguish any possible controversies that come with with that. Um, (laughs) But certainly, um, yeah, the two examples you just mentioned, one, um, Coachella or, you know, the summery music festival, it has its own... Signature style by now, I feel, um, well, usually fashionistas would be thinking of flowy dresses, floral crowns, fringe accessories, yeah, and, and maybe crochet anything, <laughs> um, and maybe wear glitter on your face, you know, the th- stuff that you wouldn't wear every day. Well, yeah, these festivals, they encourage self-expression, leading attendees to experiment with their own style. And I think that is sort of the good news of 2023. That is, um, there might be less of a style playbook, but it's more about, you know, what you're going to wear. But that's not really happening so much now in the sense that you don't really see like new fashion coming out of it. And I suppose that's maybe the bone to pick for those who are so critical about uh, fashion and music these days.
2: Well, again, I think that it's important to remember that fashion is just one part of, if not a very, very significant and impactful part of cultural movements and festivals music festivals are much more than music as well um, as we've discussed today but if you look at festivals and how important they were to the greater cultural movements and social movements then i think that it's quite easy to see how powerful these festivals are gatherings of like-minded individuals um you know exposure and discovery more freedom and acceptance to try to for example wearing different clothes i know my most experimental clothing Um, stages and experiences have been when I've gone to festivals and I I do wish sometimes that I had the confidence to maybe wear those clothes out you know in Beijing when I'm walking around but I just don't personally but when I was at these festivals I really did so I I think that it's important to remember that festivals ultimately are just massive gatherings of like-minded individuals and usually with a very very positive vibe Mm -hmm. and yeah we can see why it's so influential on fashion as well.
0: Yes. And that brings us to the end of today's roundtable. Thank you so much, Josh and Yushun for joining the show. Thank you for tuning in. You can find us on Apple Podcasts at Roundtable China. I'm He Young. We'll see you next time.